Welcome to another sketchy and downright unsettling episode of American Hauntings, the podcast hosted and produced by Cody Beck and written and performed by Troy Taylor. That's me. This is where we take you behind the scenes and down the dirty back alleys of Hollywood, the movie capital of the world, a place that's supposed to be all about palm trees, swimming pools, and movie stars, but far too often, that's not what you find. Hollywood is a place of sunlight and shadows, murder and mythology, and has been home to more cranks, kooks, lunatics, and murderers than you'll find in your average asylum. If you haven't guessed it, we're walking the dark streets of Los Angeles in season five, the so-called City of Angels. But if there are any angels here, they're the fallen kind. We're turning over rocks and uncovering the history, mysteries, spirits, scandals, and sins of Hollywood, that glamorous bit of LA that's little more than smoke and mirrors, phony facades, and broken dreams. Each episode of the new season, which started with episode 70 and will end with, I have no idea, will reveal another sordid Hollywood tale of crime, corruption, murder, and of course, ghosts. But keep in mind, the episodes in this season may not be suitable for all listeners. Listen at your own peril. So lock your doors, keep the porch light on, and don't answer any telephone calls from strange men as you listen to the new episode of American Hauntings. Los Angeles has seen more than its share of crime over the years and has been the scenes of some of the most horrific murders in American history, many of which have left hauntings behind. Over the course of the next eight episodes or so, we'll be looking at some of the murders, massacres, disappearances, and cults that have left their bloody mark on LA's twisted history. But they aren't the only moments of murder and mayhem that have made this city bleed. In this episode, I wanted to introduce you to a few stories that, even though they might not be juicy enough for an entire episode, we just couldn't leave them out. They are, without a doubt, some of Hollywood's nearly forgotten horrors. And we'll start with a man who the newspapers called L.A.'s Bluebeard, a vicious little creep who managed to romance and murder scores of women before he was caught. His name was James P. Watson, but I don't expect that to sound familiar to you. He's largely been forgotten over the years, except for the, by the most dedicated true crime buffs. But he's believed to have been the first serial killer in Los Angeles. His story started in the early 1900s and he left a bloody trail up and down the West Coast before he was finally captured. During his criminal career, Watson married at least 40 women and killed 25 of them. Those who survived lost their life savings, but escaped with their lives. Several of these women followed Watson all over California and wrote to him when he was in prison. They loved him for the attention that he showered on them and always claimed there was something special about him they couldn't explain. And it certainly wasn't his looks. Watson was not a handsome man. In fact, he was downright ugly. But as they say, well, women love a man who can make them laugh. And I think they love a man even more who doesn't murder them. Watson was born Charles Gillum in Arkansas in 1871. As he often told it, his childhood was filled with mental and physical abuse. His father was absent and his mother was volatile. After she remarried, she changed young Charles's name, first and last name, and he became Joseph Holden for a while. But his new name didn't help with his new family. His stepfather beat him and he ran away from home at the age of 12. He drifted for the next decade or so, eventually emerging with a new identity, James P. Watson. 
He later claimed that he killed for the first time in 1893, slaying a passionate young woman who had run away with him and then announced that she was pregnant. After she tried to get him to marry her, Watson poisoned her and quickly left town with her possessions. After that, he never murdered another woman without marrying her first. Years later, he said that he felt that his victims were entitled to a small measure of happiness before he took their lives. In 1913, he married his first wife, Catherine Cruz, but one day, Watson just up and disappeared, which, let's be honest, turned out to be lucky for her. In 1918, he took at least three wives. Marie Austin was the first to die. On a vacation in Idaho, he bludgeoned her to death and then weighted her body with rocks and sank her to the bottom of a lake. On their honeymoon, he killed another wife. They took a trip to see a waterfall near Spokane, Washington, and as she was admiring the view, he came up behind her and gave her a shove. He later told detectives, quote, there was no controversy, just an impulse. In 1919, he added more wives, Maud Goldsmith, Beatrice Anawarther, Elizabeth Pryor, Bertha Goodrich, and Alice Lovefixen, and a lady from Sacramento and one from Vancouver, and he couldn't remember the names of those two. He beat Elizabeth to death with a hammer and drowned three others by holding their heads underwater. He claimed it had been because of that same impulse. Quote, something said, go ahead. He later told the police, and I went ahead. When the police asked Watson how he managed to keep so many women on the hook at the same time, he told them matter-of-factly that he pretended to be a government agent who was always traveling. He'd use his phony work trips to see his other wives, and sometimes there were as many as four in the same town. And money was no problem because one of the first things Watson did was to make sure his new wife signed over her assets and changed her will. No one, not even Watson, knew how many women he eventually married. He guessed it was about 19 in three years, but he was living in the Pacific Northwest at the time, and all he knew was that the area was getting a little too crowded with Mrs. James Watson's. That's when he decided to go to California. Looking for new wives, he began advertising in the Lonely Hearts columns of area newspapers. One such advertisement read, Gentlemen, Neat in appearance, courteous disposition, well-connected in business, has quite a little property, also connected with several corporations and has a substantial bank account, would be pleased to correspond with refined young lady or widow, object matrimony. This advertisement is in good faith and all answers will be treated with respect. Well, he may have been neat in appearance, but as I mentioned earlier, he certainly wasn't good looking. He stood five feet, nine inches tall and was a bit over 120 pounds. He was so thin that his chest caved inward. After his arrest, no one, not the cops, not the prosecutors, and not his fellow inmates could understand how he'd lured in so many well-educated, pretty, and cultured women. Warden James Johnston would say in 1946, quote, I had to turn away a number of women who had no legitimate reason for calling, but faked excuses in hopes of getting a chance to see him. Before his arrest, though, Watson picked through hundreds of responses he received from his ads and began meeting women, many of whom he dumped and buried in scenic locations in the mountains, in lakes, and along rivers. Most of those bodies were never found and remain out there somewhere, even today. In 1919, he married Nina Deloney, a 43-year-old widow from Oakland, and at least two other women. He took Nina with him when he moved to Los Angeles, and one day, she discovered a letter to James from another woman, so Watson did what he always did. He crushed her skull with an axe and buried her in the desert. 
Watson's downfall happened because of a different jealous wife, though, Catherine Wambacher. She'd answered a personal ad and went out on a date with James, who claimed to be a federal agent who had recently moved to the area. Well, they got along well, and of course, they were soon married. But the honeymoon didn't last long. Catherine became suspicious about his many business trips and hired a private investigator. The Nick Harris Detective Agency thought her case was just more of the marital drama they usually dealt with at first. But when she told them that she was afraid of her husband, a federal agent, partially because he kept a black satchel that she couldn't open, detectives became concerned. They waited for one of James's business trips before sneaking into his home. When they cracked open the satchel, they found jewelry, marriage licenses, bank books, wedding rings, photographs, half a dozen wills, some signed and some blank, and correspondence from 20 other women that he planned on meeting and, according to the letters, marrying. When Watson returned, he was arrested by the LAPD and charged with bigamy. And then he started confessing. Decades before anyone used a term like serial killer, Watson defied all conventional medical and psychological understanding. Dozens of interviews and doctor visits failed to tap into his brain. Some experts thought he was crazy, others found him disturbingly sane. He was unlike anything they'd ever seen before. Calmly, he told the police about the horrific trail of murders that he'd committed up and down the West Coast. At first, they thought he was bluffing. It wasn't until he led them to Nina Deloney's body that they began to believe him. Investigators began checking into stories and cases of missing women and found that they matched his stories, although many of the women were never found. Watson proudly told the police that if you weighted down bodies in very cold water, they wouldn't rise to the surface. Well, turned out he was right. Watson was unable to explain why he kept so much incriminating evidence of his crime. And years later, we now know he did it because those items were trophies, reminders of his crimes. His motives then were a mystery. Today, well, not so much, but that doesn't make him any less terrifying. James Watson never went on trial. He took a plea deal in 1920 and was sentenced to life in prison. In 1939, he would end up in the infirmary at San Quentin with pneumonia and died a short time later. In his will, he stated that his $80,000 estate made up of cash, bonds, and valuables would be divided up between the current and previous prison wardens, the Salvation Army, and a few random names. He claimed that the location of his fortune was in code in the letter, but no one ever was able to decipher the clues. If there was a fortune, it's never been found, much like the bodies of many of his wives. On July 10, 1922, a young woman named Clara Phillips walked into the hardware department of a local five-and-dime store. She picked up a 15-cent hammer, hefted it in her hand, and then turned to the clerk and asked him if he thought it was heavy enough to kill a woman with. Well, the clerk, thinking she was joking, replied, well, yes, it is, if you hit her hard enough with it. Clara bought the hammer. The day after she purchased the hammer, Clara, a former chorus girl and movie extra, spent the afternoon drinking at a Long Beach speakeasy with her friend Peggy Caffey. Clara told Peggy that she'd heard some gossip that her new husband, Armour Phillips, a wealthy L.A. oil stockbroker, was having an affair with a pretty widow and bank clerk named Alberta Meadows. 
When she listened in on a telephone call between them, she told Peggy she'd heard Armour say that he was in love with Alberta and wanted to run away with her. But Clara wasn't about to let that happen. Several hours and a lot of cocktails later, she'd come up with a plan to get rid of the rival for her husband's affections. Clara and Peggy went to the bank where Alberta worked, and when she left for the day, they asked her for a ride. Alberta, who didn't know who Clara was, for some reason agreed, and they started off toward Montecito Heights, a quiet, isolated area north of downtown LA. On a secluded stretch of Montecito Drive, Clara asked Alberta to pull over for a private conversation. But when they got out of the car, Clara swung her 15-cent hammer at Alberta's head and then kept beating her with it until the handle broke. She then used the claw end of the hammer to disembowel the other young woman. Even then, Alberta was still not dead, so Clara choked her and then rolled a 50-pound boulder onto her chest. Peggy Caffey witnessed the whole thing from the car, but not wanting to end up like Alberta, wisely kept her mouth shut. Clara went home covered in Alberta's blood and announced to her husband, Armour, I guess it's murder. She smiled at him and told him she was going to cook him the best dinner he'd ever had because she was so happy. Well, on the morning after the best dinner he'd ever had, Armour helped his wife hide Alberta's car and then put her on a train bound for Mexico. But he soon had second thoughts. He didn't want to be charged as an accessory, so he went to the police and spilled his guts. Clara was arrested in Tucson and was brought back to Los Angeles to stand trial for murder. When she stepped off the train, she was greeted by throngs of reporters, photographers, and bizarrely, admirers. She'd been dubbed the Tiger Woman by detectives after they saw Alberta's mutilated body and noticed that it looked like she'd been killed by an animal. In court, Clara's attorney first tried to prove that her friend Peggy Caffey had killed Alberta. When that didn't work, he tried for an insanity defense, claiming that the mutilation of Alberta's body could only have been done by someone who was insane. Well, both sides called psychiatrists to make their cases. The doctors who testified for the prosecution fared far better with the jury. Clara was convicted on charges of second-degree murder with a sentence of 10 years to life in prison. But Clara had two things going for her, even in jail. She was charming and she was pretty. She had a lot of admirers, both men and women. Her jail cell was flooded with letters, flowers, and candy, and some offered other things too. It's unclear exactly how he managed to do it, but on December 5th, 1922, a man named Jesse Carson helped Clara to escape from the LA County Jail. She cut through the bars of her cell, hoisted herself onto the roof of the building, and then shimmied down a drain pipe and escaped. Clara was on the lam for over four months before she was discovered hiding out in Honduras. She was arrested, and when she promised not to fight extradition in exchange for a guaranteed parole date, she was sent back to California. More than 2,000 LA residents met the train that brought her back to the city in June 1923. Standing on the observation platform of a railroad car, she and her husband kissed and embraced for the benefit of the crowds and the press, but then the train just kept going, all the way to San Quentin. Behind prison bars, Clara learned the saxophone and organized and conducted a seven-piece orchestra made up of female inmates. She wrote and performed in a theatrical production and even learned how to be a dental assistant. 
Clara came up for parole in the spring of 1935. She would have gotten out sooner, but she'd lost some good behavior time after getting caught writing dirty notes to Thomas Price, a young convict working as an electrician. By the time she got out of prison, her strange celebrity was a thing of the past. She'd never returned to the front pages of the newspapers. She moved to La Mesa near San Diego and lived there with her mother and three sisters. In 1938, she divorced Armour Phillips, who had vanished without a trace several years before, which is a bizarre footnote to the story. She announced that she planned to marry again, but her husband was never publicly identified. Clara worked as a dental assistant until 1961 when she moved to Texas and disappeared completely from the pages of history. The Tiger Woman, as she was called, was now officially in the past. In the 1930s, a man named Robert James made his own newspaper headlines in Los Angeles. They called him the Rattlesnake Killer, and his story was so unnerving that it went on to inspire a crime noir novel. James's love for women, kinky sex, and money electrified LA when he was put on trial for his wife's bizarre and gruesome murder. James was born as Major Raymond Lisenbaugh in Alabama, but changed his name after his first wife divorced him. Well, and there was also the fact that a handful of money that he'd gotten pregnant and wanted money from him, I'm gonna say that had something to do with it too. After becoming Robert James, he headed west to California, where he found a wide open field of lovely ladies that he could pursue. James loved women and they loved him back. He was a big spender and lavished them with attention. He worked as a barber, but was always dressed smart, was a great dancer, and had a lot of Southern charm, which served him well in LA. He hadn't been in California long before he was married and divorced and then married again. The first divorce, well, which is technically his second, cost him a lot of money. And when things went bad with wife number three, he decided there had to be a cheaper way to end a marriage. Of course, murder. When he killed wife number three at a vacation cabin in the Canadian woods, he collected $14,000 from various insurance policies that he'd taken out on her. The police treated the woman's death as an accidental drowning. In 1934, James opened a barber shop in downtown Los Angeles. He was now driving an expensive Pierce Arrow convertible and was escorted by his 17-year-old niece, Lois Wright, whom he had seduced and was now introducing around as wife number four, even though they never got married. Lois worked in the barber shop, which was convenient for James because he always knew where she was. While Lois worked, he went out with other women. Although the shop made good money, James found that managing multiple affairs required a lot of dough. He married another woman in 1934, but quickly had the marriage annulled when he found out that his new bride didn't believe in life insurance. Lucky for her. Later that year, he became involved with Mary Bush, age 25, a young woman that he had hired to be a manicurist. They married and moved into a new home, and soon after, Mary became pregnant. Everything seemed to be going well, but surprise, they weren't. In August, James brought two of his friends home for dinner and Mary was nowhere to be found. They searched the house and the yard and discovered Mary's lifeless body floating face down in the backyard fish pond. Her left leg was purple and swollen. The police investigated, but the coroner ruled that Mary's death was an accidental drowning. He dismissed her swollen leg as the result of just an insect bite. 
The insurance company paid James's claim, but a suspicious investigator told Jack Southard, the chief investigator for the LA District Attorney's Office, that the claim seemed questionable to him. Well, this convinced the DA's office to keep a much closer eye on James. They used listening devices to record his conversations and even rented the house next door to where he lived so that they could watch him. The recordings quickly revealed that he was into violent, kinky sex with a string of different women, as well as Lois, the 17-year-old niece that was still in the picture. Chief Deputy District Attorney Eugene Williams became convinced that James had murdered his wife and decided to see if it was possible to provoke James into revealing himself. Investigators waited until Robert and Lois were in bed and then they burst in and arrested him. He was charged with statutory rape and incest, but Williams made sure that the story was planted in the newspaper for the whole city to see. It detailed the suspicious death of James's wife and his lascivious behavior with his own niece. Well, the newspaper story caught the attention of a man named Charles Hope, a former sailor turned short order cook who lived in Hermosa Beach. According to Hope, when he came to talk to the police, he had met James when he'd come into the shop for a haircut. As James cut his hair, he brought up the subject of rattlesnakes and told Hope that he would pay him $100 if he could get two snakes for him. Well, Hope had a tough time with the assignment, but he eventually brought James two rattlesnakes. So that's weird, but it got weirder from there. Hope then said that James told him that his wife was pregnant, but he wanted her to have an abortion. Now, Mary had agreed to the procedure, even though since it was illegal, the operation would have to be done in their kitchen. Well, James paid Hope to pretend to be a doctor. He gave Mary whiskey to drink as an anesthetic and then taped her eyes and mouth shut, allegedly to protect the identity of the doctor who was doing the illegal abortion. He also tied her down on the kitchen table so that she was unable to move. Hope brought the snakes into the house in a sliding box. James then shoved his wife's left leg into the box where one of the agitated rattlesnakes bit her. Hope took the snakes and left the house. He resold them to their original owner and then that evening came back to the James house. Mary was still alive, although she was in agony from the poisonous venom that was coursing through her body. James and Hope went into the garage and drank, waiting for her to die. Finally, James got tired of waiting and convinced Hope to help him drown the nearly comatose woman in the bathtub. When she was dead, they drug her outside and placed her body in the fish pond. Well, both men were tried for first-degree murder. The horrific story shocked the people of L.A., and the courtroom was filled with notables like reporter Walter Winchell and James N. Kane, who was so inspired by the story that he used it for his book, Double Indemnity. Actor Peter Lorre came to the courtroom each day to study James in preparation for an upcoming role he was going to play as a psychotic killer. I mean, this is Hollywood, after all. The snakes were brought in as evidence, further adding to the scandalous circus-like atmosphere of the trial. However, a rather tense moment did occur when one of the snakes slithered out of its box and got free in the courtroom. No one was injured and the rattlesnake was quickly recaptured. Hope was given life in prison and James's attorneys told him to brace himself when his verdict was announced. I can take it, James coolly replied. He was given the death sentence and on May 1st, 1942, Robert James, the so-called rattlesnake murderer, became the last man hanged in the state of California.
On September 18, 1959, a mild-mannered, skinny, nervous-looking man named Harvey Glattman was led down the corridor from his cell in San Quentin's death row to the gas chamber. A few minutes later, the chilling series of murders he committed finally came to an end. For several years leading up to his conviction, Glattman had murdered anonymously, preying on young, aspiring Hollywood starlets, taking twisted photographs of them before sexually assaulting them, murdering them, and dumping them in the desert. The newspapers dubbed the killer the Glamour Girl Slayer. Harvey Glattman was born on October 10, 1927 in the Bronx, New York. He was an awkward boy but excelled at school and had a high IQ. He enjoyed the arts and had a passion for photography, something he hoped to pursue later in life. And he did, but I doubt it was in ways that his family had in mind. He was still a young boy when his family moved to Denver, Colorado, where his mother had relatives. Harvey attended Denver East High School, where he was part of the school band playing the coronet. But high school wasn't easy for the antisocial, shy young man. He was relentlessly teased by other students because of his large ears and buck teeth. His parents soon became aware that he had some unusual inclinations. For example, his mother once caught Harvey choking himself with a noose while he masturbated. He was 12 years old at the time. When he was 18 and still in high school, he had a brush with the law after he tied up a fellow student at gunpoint and molested her and things just got worse from there. He began breaking into houses, stealing small trophies, and on an occasion stole a gun. At first, the burglaries were random, but they became more deliberate as he began to target the houses of attractive women. He'd follow them home and then climb through an unlocked window or door. He would catch the women by surprise, tie them up with rope that he brought with him. He was a small man, but with his stolen gun, he was able to subdue them. After they were tied up, he removed their tops and fondled their breasts while he touched himself. He didn't rape them, but it was still traumatic. For Harvey, the act of tying up the woman and the helplessness they felt was enough to satisfy his urges. For now. On May 18, 1945, Harvey was caught trying to get into the apartment of a young woman named Elma Hammam. When he was arrested, he was found with a 25 caliber handgun in his pocket. At the station, he quickly confessed to the burglaries, but didn't mention the assaults on the women he'd tied up. Harvey was released on bail, but he just couldn't control himself. He kidnapped Noreen Laurel and took her to Sunshine Canyon. Once again, he subdued her, groped her breasts, and masturbated. When finished, he took her home. When Noreen immediately reported the crime to the police and picked Harvey out of a mugshot book, he was arrested again, charged, and sentenced to one year at the Colorado State Prison. He was released for good behavior eight months later. Justifiably concerned about her son, Harvey's mother, Ophelia, took him to a psychiatrist who diagnosed him as being, quote, scared of women. He suggested that Harvey should find some new hobbies, like dancing, where he could more easily interact with women. While his mother had a better idea, he should move back to New York, and far away from her, I'm sure. She even found an apartment for him in Yonkers and got him a job at a local repair shop, where he could put some of the skills he learned in prison to work. But Harvey wasn't interested in repair work, and he already had a hobby that he liked. On August 17, 1946, he attacked Thomas Starrow and Doris Thorne as they were walking. He tied up Thomas and then turned his attentions to Doris. No longer interested in just groping women's breasts, he began trying to rape her while pointing a toy gun at her. But Thomas managed to free himself from the bindings and attacked Harvey, pulling him away from Doris. Harvey twisted free, cut the other man with a penknife he had in his pocket, and ran off. 
He escaped by train to Albany, which was two hours away. Five days later, on August 22nd, he attacked a nurse named Florence Hayden. He pushed her into a yard as she walked down Main Street in Albany and ordered her to stay quiet as he pointed the toy gun at her. While Harvey struggled to tie her up, he placed the gun on the ground and Florence saw her chance. She screamed and pushed him away and then got to her feet and ran. She escaped unharmed and later told the police that she thought her assailant looked more frightened than she was. But Harvey wasn't giving up. The next evening, he approached two other women, Evelyn Berg and Beverly Goldstein. He planned to attack them, but when they got close to him, he lost his nerve. Instead, he demanded they give him their money while he waved his toy gun at them. They handed over their purses and he ran off, mumbling to himself. The two women reported the robbery and it didn't take long for detectives to match Harvey's description with statements from Florence Hayden, Thomas Stero, and Doris Thorne. Two days later, Harvey was arrested while following a woman to her home. When he was caught, he was carrying the toy gun, the rope, and the penknife. Once captured, he immediately, again, confessed to his crimes. At 19 years old, he was sentenced to serve five to 10 years behind bars. Because he was still underage by 1946 standards, he was initially sent to the Elmira Correctional Facility, but would later spend time at Sing Sing. While in prison, he underwent several psychiatric examinations, which reported him as, quote, not definitely mental defective or psychotic, whatever that means. He was released in 1948 after only two years, once again, for good behavior. Harvey was released into the custody of his mother, and he remained in Colorado for the next nine years. During that time, he managed to stay out of trouble, or more likely, he simply didn't get caught. But all that was going to change when he went to California. In January 1957, Harvey, now 30 years old, moved to Los Angeles. After arriving, he picked up his interest in photography again. Working as a TV repairman by day, Harvey rented a studio apartment on Melrose Avenue where he set up a darkroom, bought a camera, and all the accessories to go with it. He began offering his services as a photographer using the pseudonym Johnny Glenn, usually seeking work with modeling agencies. What Harvey Glattman was really seeking was victims. And that first victim that Harvey found was a model named Judy Ann Dull, 19 years old. At the time she met Harvey, she was involved in a long, expensive custody battle with her ex-husband over their 14-month-old daughter. So when Harvey offered her a much-needed $50 to pose for the cover of a pulp novel, she happily agreed. Harvey arranged to pick her up at her apartment on August 1st. When he called to set up the appointment, he asked her to wear street clothes and told her that they could even shoot at her apartment if it made her feel more comfortable. Well, she shared her apartment with two other models, and that made it crowded, and besides, Harvey said the light wasn't right, so they should probably go somewhere else. Judy and her roommates didn't sense any danger from the skinny, awkward photographer in his ill-fitting suit, so Judy decided to leave with him. Before they left, Harvey gave his phone number to Judy's roommate, Betty, and led Judy out to his car and drove her to his apartment. When they arrived, he explained to Judy that the photo shoot included bondage and that he would need to tie her up. It was all above board, though, he assured her. There was nothing to worry about. Once he tied her up in a chair, he began snapping photos and waving his newly purchased real gun around. And he told her to look scared, which I'm going to guess wasn't too hard for her to do. Finally, when the photos were finished, Judy was still tied up and he raped her several times. It was the first time he'd ever actually had sex. When he was finished, he made her sit next to him on the sofa where he cuddled her while they watched television. 
around 10.30 p.m., he told Judy he was going to let her go, but that he was going to leave her in a secluded spot so he could be gone in case she called the police. He bound her wrists and led her to his car at gunpoint. He then drove her about 100 miles out of Los Angeles into the Mojave Desert, where he strangled her to death. It was the first time that he tied a rope around a woman's neck and ankles and pulled on it from behind until she quit struggling, but it wouldn't be the last. Meanwhile, Judy's friends were growing concerned that she'd not come home from the photo shoot. Betty called the number that Harvey had given her, but of course it turned out to be fake. She picked up the phone again and this time dialed the police. She gave them a description and a bulletin was put out for Harvey, but no one came forward. Judy was later discovered four miles from Indio, just off the highway. Harvey had buried her in a shallow grave, but she was dug up by animals. And when her body was discovered, she would be known as Jane Doe for several months. Harvey's next victim was Shirley Bridgeford, a divorcee and model that he met through a Lonely Hearts ad using the name George Williams. He made a date with Shirley and went to pick her up at her home not realizing how many people would be there when he arrived. So he quickly got her into his car, telling her he was going to take her dancing. But when they began driving, he told Shirley he had a headache and instead they went for dinner in Oceanside. After dinner, they returned to his car where they kissed for a little while and then he suggested they go for a drive. He drove east for miles, eventually reaching the Anzo Borrego Desert State Park, where he told Shirley to undress as he pointed his gun at her. He raped Shirley several times and forced her out of the car where he tied her up and took photos. The bulb in his flash broke, so they waited until sunrise so he could take more photos of her. He kept her calm by telling her that he intended to take her home soon. Well, needless to say, he didn't. He strangled her with the rope and took more photos, positioning her in any way that he wanted. Once he was done, he didn't even bother to try and bury her. He just left her body on the desert floor for the animals. Harvey found his next victim, Ruth Mercado, age 24, through a modeling agency. When he arrived at her place for their photo shoot, he learned that she was too sick to proceed. But he didn't let that stop him. He came back a few hours later, and this time, Harvey broke in and raped her throughout the night at gunpoint. In the morning, he forced her to walk out to his car and then drove out into the desert, where he killed her by his usual method. He later told the police, quote, she was the one I really liked. So I told her we were going to a deserted spot where we wouldn't be bothered while I took more pictures. I took a lot more pictures and I tried and tried to figure out how to keep from killing her, but I couldn't come up with an answer. Harvey was eventually caught because he chose the wrong victim, 28-year-old Lorraine Vigil. Lorraine had just registered with the modeling agency when she was contacted by Harvey for a photo shoot. She got in his car and everything seemed normal until she realized that he was driving in the opposite direction of Hollywood. She protested, but by then Harvey was on the Santa Ana freeway and driving fast. When no traffic was around, Harvey claimed that the car had a flat tire and pulled over to the side of the road. After the car was parked, he produced a gun and tried to tie Lorraine up. Lorraine though, wasn't having it. She grabbed the gun by the muzzle and tried to get it away from Harvey. He tried to convince her to let go of the gun. If she would, he wouldn't kill her, but she knew better. As she fought over the weapon, Harvey fired off a bullet that passed through Lorraine's skirt and grazed her thigh. Angry now and in pain, she savagely bit Harvey's hand and was able to get the gun from it. She kept it pointed at him until the police, likely alerted by a passing motorist, arrived at the scene. Harvey was initially arrested for assault, but behind bars, 
Again, he couldn't keep his mouth shut. He quickly confessed to the killings and police were sent to his apartment to find the toolbox he told them about in his statement. That toolbox was full of the images he had taken of the rapes and murders he'd committed. They had been lovingly processed with care in his home darkroom, where he'd also preserved some of the clothing of his victims. Harvey offered to take the detectives to the graves of his victims and a convoy of policemen accompanying him first to the Anza State Park, where he revealed the location of Shirley Bridgeford's remains. He hadn't bothered to bury her because he didn't believe anyone would ever find her. Well, her remains were still there. They were scattered by scavengers, but there was still enough left to identify her. He then led them to Ruth Mercado. Her body was mostly intact and there was even still hair on her skull. The next day, investigators traveled to unearth Judy Dull. However, her remains weren't where Harvey had left them. Her body had been discovered a few months earlier and she'd been tagged as a Jane Doe. While at trial, Harvey pled guilty and repeatedly requested that he be given the death penalty. He even attempted to stop the automatic appeal that was given to all death penalty cases in California. Finally, on September 18, 1959, he got his wish. Harvey Glattman went to the gas chamber. Have you ever wanted to learn a new language? And I don't mean like spells or incantations to trap spirits, you weirdos. I mean like a new language that could help you start communicating with more people on this plane today. Then I need to tell you about Rosetta Stone. Look, you know the brand, you know the name. They have the expertise and a 30-year legacy, which makes them more qualified than ever to help you learn a new language today. They've helped millions of people build the fluency and confidence to speak new languages. Now, this is the part where Troy would tell me that I made some kind of grammatical error, but he's not here right now, so like, I don't know, it's like speaking tongues. Rosetta Stone focuses on speaking practice for real-life scenarios to get you ready for real conversations with real people. Or maybe you can even learn how to use some different types of Ouija boards. I don't know. Either way, Rosetta Stone can help you learn faster and retain your new language better. Honestly, Rosetta Stone really would have come in handy for season four of New Orleans because I know we butchered some of those French names and I apologize once again. Now you all know I have a nine to five job when I'm not at the podcast factory and Rosetta Stone actually helped me not make a total fool out of myself while I was in Brazil interviewing celebrities. Obrigado. And now I want to help you. So don't put off learning that new language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, American Hauntings podcast listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today today. Rosetta Stone, how language is learned. Wait, by the way, Troy, like where do words come from? Hey, no, don't, 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 don't walk away. Oh, Troy, where do words at Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Yeah, 
had so many yeah, people. That's what it is. So many people that weren't there messaged me, and they were like, "Oh, the groans from the audience." <laughs> and I yeah. was like, "Yep, yeah, that's yeah, pretty bad." Yep. Okay. All right. I'm set. Oh, we're probably already recording anyway. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> we yeah. usually are. I just can't hear anything because we're, uh, you know, I I don't know what. How the hell did we both? forget our headphones it's just i just you know i had them on yesterday too when i was recording these anyway okay well i'm ready man all right. so all right okay thanks for tuning into the american hauntings podcast the show where we discuss history hauntings legends lore and the dark side of american history we are now in season five of the podcast haunted hollywood i'm your co-host cody beck and with me is my co-host author historian crime buff and the founder of american hauntings troy taylor well how are you I am exhausted. For once, though, I've actually seen you in a recent amount of time. Yeah. So, yeah, no, uh, we're not recording this remotely this time. Cody nope. has already quarantined and, you know, he's gotten past his COVID. We've had Dead of Winter, uh, which reminds me that I want to thank everybody who attended Dead of yeah. Winter. Um, I had a lot of fun. It was uh, it was an odd Mm-hmm. socially distanced dead of winter, yeah. which we've already made plans for next year, which I'm not going to reveal okay. quite yet, but we do have some good ideas, um, actually using some of what we did this year and expanding on it. Interesting. So yeah, we didn't, uh, we did our live episode, um, this year. We didn't get to do it with everybody. We'll, we'll correct that next year. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just no way to do it. Right. There was just no way to make it work this year with all of us. You know, it was still in the middle of a, you know, in the, in the waning days, this is me thinking positive. You think here. so? Yes, we are in the waning days of a pandemic, and it will be over because the last I heard, they expected there to be enough over 300 million vaccines available for everyone by the end of summer. Oh, dang. So uh, I think we're going to be in much better shape than we thought we would be. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, well, of course, we thought we thought it would be over by Two last weeks. June, yeah. but you know, anyway. Um, so we're, we're making plans for next year already because that's how we do things. Yep. Um, so anyway, but I do want to say thank you to everyone who came and especially uh, all of you who brought the, the food donations for the food banks. Um, you know, this year especially was one of those years that we could, you know, everybody could really use it. Yep. And we had a really, you know, we had a really nice turnout um, of haul. kind of a streaming people. Um, I was kind of isolated with just the, the VIP group, mm-hmm. uh, but I did see some of the people we were um, downstairs talking about the, um, you know, the food donations and stuff. And we did get, um, even in the middle of a pandemic, a lot of stuff. Yeah. And uh, it was very, very, very much appreciated uh, by the uh, the people who picked it up. Uh, they distributed it to the food banks and to uh, to uh, elderly, to the elderly mm-hmm. as well, who have not been able to get out the way that they need to. So uh, it was kind of split between two different things this year, which sure. worked out really well. So everybody was super happy. So thanks to everybody who... Who, who did that? We appreciate Th- it. Thanks for entertaining so. me and, and listening to my jokes. And all that. That was, <laughs> yeah. That was fun. Your, your jokes. And yeah, I mean, I, I, I haven't meant to be on a depressive, you know, kind oh, of thing, fuck, but that man. was a pretty depressing one. Kind of like our next episode is going to be. I didn't think be, you could but, get more depressing than Dead of Winter until uh, I read these two outlines well, this, pretty much. Well, the next episode is this one. I don't know. This one is... Um, it's pretty bad, but it's the next bad, one is- but at least it has some. You could just look at it and just throw your hands up. The next one is just 
I couldn't. Uh, I couldn't write I know. jokes. I know the next one's really bad. But anyway, let's let's not get ahead of ourselves. So let's stick with where we are because uh, we've been having a lot of people ask us. So dead of winter's over. I'm bored. What's next? Mm-hmm. Um, we actually do have things going on. If you are if you are downloading this on the 16th on February 16th, the day that it goes live, there is still time to sign up for an event that we have this coming Saturday in Alton, which is an evening in haunted New Orleans. Um, I mean, you know, no one could celebrate Mardi Gras this year, not the way that we're used to celebrating. There are no parades, you know, even in New Orleans, there are no parades. So we're going to bring New Orleans to you in Alton. And uh, I'm going to do a haunted New Orleans evening um, with dinner and that kind of thing. So uh, look it up. If you haven't, um, you know, if you don't have any plans for Saturday and you hear this on the day that it comes out, please, you know, come and join us. We uh, we have some limited spots left. I think we'll probably still have a few left on Tuesday when this uh, this episode goes up. So um, you could find it at AmericanHauntings.net, like everything else, because that was the other thing I was going to mention. We've got the Ghosts of the River Road Tour. We've got one that's um, it's a little over half full for March 6th. Uh, we've got an evening with the Limp family on the 19th, which is always a winner. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the 27th, we have an evening with the St. Louis Exorcism. These are all in March. Nice. This is all March stuff, um, which... Reminds me. I mean, honestly, right now, by March 27th, I'm going to feel differently. But right now, I'm really sick and tired of talking about the St. Louis exorcism. (laughs) Uh, For those of you who have or have seen the 9 million posts we've put up or have heard anything on the radio, uh, Discovery Plus, the new streaming service from the Discovery Channel, um, I did a documentary this past year called The Exorcism of Roland Doe. And it's been running ever since. People have been seeing it. I've been doing lots and lots of radio interviews Mm -hmm. like... 30 or more every single day. That's awesome. Um, well, it's fine. Thank God it's finally sure. done. I, yeah. I, you know, I, I've gone through, you know, I mean, radio stations all over the country. I was telling Cody before we started that um, I would come in. I've had to be at my desk at eight o'clock and dial number after number after number after number with all these radio stations. So, but it has been fun. I've, I've gotten, you know, made a connection with some pretty cool people and some real weirdos i mean any uh questions stand out to you whether not really i believe there was one radio station and i don't i don't want to say where it was but um all of them were pretty good even like the you know the crazy morning zoo radio Sound shows. Yeah. The, that shock, you know, the shit. guys that are all, you know, the yelling the entire time. Crazy and Ireland yeah, the even those have been okay, but there was one that was just weird, man. Yeah. I mean, and he kept me on for like five, 15 minutes after his, Ugh. you know, like a lot of time. Right, yeah. And he was just asking me like really weird personal questions that had huh. nothing to do with, what we were supposed to be talking about, man, it was really strange. Huh. But anyway, um, that is available for streaming now. So if you are interested in seeing it, uh, check that out um, because it, it is up there. And what what did I say I was going to mention? I was going to mention something. Uh, the podcast that you're going to be on, I think. Yeah, there's a couple of podcasts that I'm doing. One's for a bloody disgusting. One is for Haunt Johns. So jealous of that. Yeah, uh, one is for Haunt Johns. Those are still coming. Oh, and then if you hear this on Tuesday, and if for any bizarre reason you're up at midnight on uh, Wednesday the 17th, uh, I'm going to be on Coast to Coast talking about the uh, the the St. Louis exorcism awesome. as well. So if you're interested in hearing that stuff, feel free uh, to jump in on it. Um, 
We've also got, you know, if you can't attend in-person stuff, you know, can listen to any of those things. And then um, I did a live stream last night, mm-hmm. which was um, we're, we're recording this on Saturday before the uh, before the show actually airs. And I did um, Sex and the Supernatural last night for okay. Valentine's Day, which was. Yeah. Went really well, I Did think. Uh, it was not as weird as I was afraid it would turn out right. to be. Expectations were... Uh, yeah, I think uh, at a normal level this okay. time. So, um, you know, I didn't, as far as I know, everyone but Renee Cruz kept their pants on. So <laughs> I think everyone was okay. Uh, but I've got a, another one coming up on the 12th of March, which is Gangsters and Ghosts. And that's going to be kind of an Al Capone, um, you know, haunting, you know, Chicago gangster kind of thing. Sure. So plus, and on that same note, we have a new issue the morbid curious out um it was our surprise issue that we've not planned on putting out Uh Um, i just decided to do it for a lot of people do special editions of stuff for the holidays i decided to do one for valentine's day that has nothing to do with uh hearts and candy nope um it's all about uh murder revenge massacres and mostly love gone bad so in other words things that our people can relate to so if you're interested in that uh check it out if you like the first issue of the magazine uh this is our second issue we will still be coming out with a uh a, a new issue at the beginning of well end of april beginning of may so you could either say that it's for uh while purchased knocked or it's for beltane whichever you want to decide uh it is coming out uh in a few months uh but this was a new issue and uh, it was a lot of fun to put together we put mm-hmm. it together in secret we didn't tell anybody yep. so it is out plus last thing i swear to god okay. uh Later in March, my new book, uh, The Forlorn Hope, mm-hmm. is coming out. That is about the Donner Party. Uh, so if you're interested in, you know, uh, history, hauntings, cannibalism, uh, this will be just the book for you. So I'm excited. I had a blast writing this yeah, book. So you've been saying. I you really enjoyed it. Uh, I'm sorry it's finished. It's yeah. one of those books that I was sorry when I finished it. But it is finished, and it is... Um, on its way to the final stages now. We'll have a new, you know, cover to preview for everybody next week. And mm-hmm. so it's uh, it's on its way. But anyway, you could find out about all that stuff at AmericanHauntings.net uh, if you're interested. So um, did you, yeah. uh, you, you learned, like, obviously I don't want to give away the oh, ending, okay. um, but did you, uh, was there anything surprisingly shocking that you didn't know? Or no, I mean, it was a lot of stuff that I knew. There were some, there were some little things though that, that yeah. you know, I was intrigued by um mm-hmm. that i wasn't i mean i was familiar with but digging into the details and doing some research on some of this stuff um one of the things i mean we when we think of the donner party all we ever think about is cannibalism and yeah. I mean, that's just the way it is right um and you know it, they couldn't help it you gotta do it. well you do. not all of them but most of them sure. did it because they had to um there was always that that one standout right. you know but um you know and so that's what we think of, but we leave out a lot of the stories about how heroic some of these people were, mm. uh, the sacrifices that they made for other people when, you know, by the time they made it to the mountains, this was a very dysfunctional wagon train. I yeah. mean, very dysfunctional. And most of them had absolutely no concern for anyone outside of their family. Sure. But there were a handful of people who really stood out mm-hmm. and um, they... Anybody who's reading of my books know that I tend to editorialize on things in the book. And, um, 
you can tell the people I like and the people that I don't like okay, uh, right. when you read the book um, because you get a lot of sarcasm with the people that I don't like and then you get a lot of uh, effusive writing about some of the people that I do. But, you know, that's the one thing that we always leave out about the Donner Party is just how heroic some of those people really were. Yeah. And the things that they did and the sacrifices they made to save lives. Sure. And um, so I, I really love the story. I guess the one thing that I, I guess I didn't know this, or Mm -hmm. I would have, you know, I think I would have talked about it before, was how close Abraham Lincoln came to actually going along with the Donner Party, because the Donner Party left from the Springfield, Illinois area, Uh and James Reed, who was you know, the Donner and Reed party essentially is what it was, at least when it left Illinois. James Reed and, and Lincoln were good friends. Lincoln huh. was his attorney. And um, he tried to talk Lincoln into going with them to California. And Mary decided um, there was no way that she was riding in a wagon train all the way to California, which totally makes sense right. when you know the story sure. between the two of them. But I didn't ever realize that, you know, th- it was maybe, you know, this close right. to Lincoln going along. Wow. And, uh, um, you know, who knows? His ghost could have haunted happened. a whole well, other... Well, it certainly would have changed American history in a very dramatic way. True. That's for sure. Well, what year was the Donner Party stuff? 80, 1846. Oh, yeah. So okay. Lincoln was a lawyer at the time. Right. right and so, so right, okay. he was still in Springfield and, you know, it was years before he ran for president or even ran for senator. But right. um, yeah, who knows how things might have been different. Yeah, you the know? South so, like, where's the city? And people, yeah, right. exactly. Why not? Yeah, who knows uh, what might have happened. Crazy. So, yeah. All right. Well, yeah, we'll be on the lookout for that then. Um, and then the, you know, Discovery Plus uh, follow-up sure, after, yeah. after that. Yeah, so I tell everybody, you got to look at my face, unfortunately, through most of the thing. But uh, other than that, it it is it was a fun it was a fun thing to film. I mean, I think I told you about it yep. months and months and months ago because we did it last spring yep. during the pandemic. So they there's really- no location shooting in right. this. So that was the one thing that they use some footage that I did for an, another documentary oh, in it yeah. when I was on location because when you see me in a couple of interviews, you're like, who the hell is that? Because I look, it's six years ago, but I look different. You even um, told me, but yeah. like we were we were like drinking while <laughs> yeah. I was watching this and I was like, yeah. what the hell just happened? I know, like, right? It was a different- what, where did your beard go? Yeah, yeah I know. So, <laughs> oh man. Okay. Well, let's let's move on to more current events. Then uh, we got yeah. some great listener reviews. Um, this first one is titled "Best Paranormal Podcast Around," and it's from Joe Dorsey sixty one. It says, "Oh my God, one that you can actually understand." Yeah. Well, someone's there, actual name. There is an yeah. at symbol in there, oh, okay. but I just. Well, so it says, I love this podcast. Anything Troy does is always well-researched, entertaining, and scary. I especially love the horror film episodes. As I listen, I make a list of films to check out. Thanks for the recommendations, Troy. Um, hey, which, let, me, let me jump in really quick yes. on that. Um, I know that we, we do these, and we, like last year, I kept a running tab, a running diary of mm-hmm. everything that I watched horror film-wise for the end of the year. Yes. Um, I'm doing that now online. So if anybody wants to follow along with me with the stuff that I've been watching, yeah. I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Nine. I've got 11 films so far this year. And it's on, um, it's a website and a, an app called Letterboxd. I love Letterboxd. Yeah, you talked me into this one because you said it would be a good way to do it. I and to it's buy them. It's spelled letter and then B-O-X-D. Mm-hmm. And you can look me up under Troy Taylor 13. 
And um, I'm keeping a diary of every horror film that I watch. That's awesome. uh, I was telling Cody that, uh, and I know you guys have heard me talk about it. For those of you who listen to our horror film episodes, I've been really wanting to see St. Maud yep. since early last year and everything kept getting delayed and I finally got to see it. And so I put up a review of it and I did like it. Cody would hate it, Mm -hmm. Uh, but I did like it, but it's going to be one of those movies that I don't need to see again. So I was glad that I didn't buy it. I just streamed it on epics. It's the only way to see it right now. Weird thing. It's so weird. But um, anyway, I was glad that I got to see it, but I will, as far as movies this year, if you just want a recommendation of some kind, the movies that I have seen this year so far that I really liked uh, was The Empty Man, yep, which you, I recommended that to you. It's on the list. Really love that movie. Um, Bloody Hell, which I, which was a yeah, horror comedy. Sounds which bizarre. Hilarious and exciting and scary. And I really liked yeah. Bloody Hell. That That's probably, that's like last year, my, my big thing that I kept, you know, um, sticking up for was After Midnight. Uh-huh. This is my After Midnight for... 2021 so far <laughs> it's, it's, right. okay. and uh, i also put the reckoning on that list as as high numbers that is the new film by neil marshall the guy that did the the descent right and dog oh, we, soldiers okay, and stuff it is yeah. a um it's a period piece about a woman who's accused of witchcraft mm-hmm. uh i really liked it but i don't know i would watch i watch well I would say I would watch anything Neil Marshall has made. I have watched everything <laughs> Neil Marshall has made, even his non-horror stuff like Centurion um, and that yep. one about, uh, shoot, can't think of the name of it. It's called, I don't know. It's a, um, oh man, it's really bugging me. It's the mm. one about the, where it's a set in England and it's, uh, they're behind the wall. Scotland, I think, is behind the wall and there is a uh, pandemic that has happened, and it's like a um, hmm. inside this wall. There's like a, and of course, my a sanctuary or something. Yeah, it's something like that. I think I recommended it. World to War you. Z. No, it's Brave not. Heart. No, 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 no. Uh, no it's um, it's uh, shoot. I'll think of it. Yeah, here I have my Wi-Fi turned off. Yeah, on I my know. Me too. Otherwise. I'll I'll think of it here in a second. Uh, but I um. I really like that one and it's and it's not it's not a horror film either but he directed he's directed a lot of episodes of shows that I really liked oh, okay. um, he did some of my favorite episodes of Game of Thrones mm-hmm. uh was Neil Marshall and um he's just this um you know, just the, he did a, he did a remake, the Hellboy remake, which did not get great reviews. Oh yeah, but, I didn't mind. Um, I I liked it. I thought it was fine, but. Um, you know, Doomsday. That's the name of that Doomsday. movie, Doomsday. And you got to see the uh, you got to see the un you know the unedited or the uncut version of it. Sure. But yeah, Doomsday and Dog Soldiers and The Descent. Uh, those are you know some of my really fun you know horror films that I've loved for years. Right. And uh, but that's Neil Marshall. So I All think right. I've seen everything he's ever done. So all right. Well, there, there's <laughs> but, some recommendations. But so the reckoning is uh, is cool if you. If you like that old witchcraft trial kind of thing, and that's essentially what it is. I put something on Instagram the other day, um, and it was Wednesday Adams, but it said something like, uh, they taught us to fear the witches, but not the people that burn them alive. Oh, right, right, like right. That. Sure, like, yeah. same, same thing. I love yeah. that kind of shit. All right, so I'm sorry. I interrupted your, but the oh, no, no, movie fine. thing popped up, and yeah. I wanted to tell people how they could follow my... Absolutely. Because I've got a few new things also that I plan to watch yeah. and hibernate when I get home this weekend, because I'm, I'm doing a very frigid 
goes to the river right. road, or frozen river oh, road man. tour tonight. That's going to be uh, rough. So, but when I get home tomorrow, I've got some stuff on my list I want to dig into. So, nice, nice. I yeah. think I'm on Letterboxd too, but I, I have one, I have like a, I think it's Death of the Party is my, oh, yeah. my screen yeah. name or something. So yeah, find me on there. I haven't used it in a year, but <laughs> oh, man, I probably I, yeah, should. I've, I've started using it just for this. Really? Just for my horror films, just for the podcast. Well, I was so, so into, you know, tracking all the films and all that stuff in 2019 and then 2020, in March, I just went yeah, off no, a cliff, and I was like, I yeah, was but so you know, I was so bored. I was well, as we talked direction. about, I went the opposite direction. I really started digging for stuff, right, and found a lot of good stuff that way. And now I'm in the habit, so I just keep doing it. Yeah. I've got so much stuff piled up on my, you know, to watch list. Yeah, um, there's one I'm really excited to watch. Uh, it's called like Sator or something. It's hmm. about a demon in the woods, and it's gotten some. It's an indie thing, but it's gotten some really good reviews. So that's on my list for tomorrow. So uh, by the time you guys hear this, if you want to check it out, get on my letterbox thing. I'll yeah. put up a review what's for your, sure. What's your, uh, since we've already gone off on tangents, let's keep going. And what's your, <laughs> yeah. what's your method methodology here? Like you, you watch the trailers yes. first? Is that yes. Kind of what I mean, about? because there's a lot of crap that comes so out. Much. I mean, so much garbage. So anything that looks like it re- might be remotely interesting, I will um, watch the trailer and I mean, after all these years of movies, man, I, I mean, I can tell within the first 30 seconds of the trailer if I'm going to want to watch this movie. If sure. it looks like it was made in somebody's garage, I mean, that that's not necessarily always a bad thing. Right. I mean, that's the first paranormal, ac- paranormal activity movie. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you know, which they're rebooting, by the way. Did you hear that? No. Yeah, they are why? rebooting it as a found footage movie. And I'm like, why? Ugh. Anyway, um, but even, you know, you can just tell. Yeah. You could tell when it's just like a guy who's just found some of his friends to come together and make a movie. Sure. And I'm like, dude, I, I'm not going to spend the time on this. Uh, but I find a lot of good things by doing that because they'll put stuff up with absolutely no advertising, no fanfare yep. whatsoever. And you can find really good like Spanish or British mm-hmm. films that, you know, were put out there, but not put out here and given no advertising. Yeah. And I find some good stuff that way. I, I love, really do. I love when, especially when it's a smaller budget movie, um, when the marketing team kind of goes away and they let the director do their yeah. own yeah. Um, trailer, because then you can kind of tell right yes. then and there, they have a yeah. vision and if, if right. you like what they did right. for the trailer and right. that cut. Like you know, movie. and Shudder is great about putting out stuff that we wouldn't see otherwise. Oh, totally. And uh, I find a lot of good things as new Shudder films. It's I watched five the bucks new, a month. I know for five bucks, how do you go wrong? I watched the new Into the Dark, you know, those Blumhouse things oh, they yeah. do for Hulu. I watched Tentacles last night. Um, I'm not going to say it's not worth watching, but it was not as good as I had hoped it would be because it really had. The initial premise of it, I thought, was really good. And then it sort of, it left me with too many questions. Okay. And not in a good way. You know, it's okay when it leaves things, you know, very vague, you know, or ambiguous endings. I don't mind that because I can create my own ending in my head. But sure. this was like, left me with questions like, you know, what? Who the hell was this? Well, yeah. why? They never came back to this, you know? So... But it's not bad. It's well made. And the girl who's in it is like super cute. So, it's, oh, yeah. Yeah, she's really great looking. So, it's, I mean, it's hard to go wrong with that of part course. of it. But um, as far as just, you know, the actual story, I had some some difficulty with it. <laughs> so, so. Uh, we've talked about this before. And Lisa told me not to bring it up to you, I think, before, <laughs> that, that you, you would never, you would never write, um, 
uh, a fiction Mm-mm. book, but would you ever write like a screenplay? No, I don't know. I don't know how to write a screenplay. I know there are like, you know, programs that do it for sure. you. Sure. You know, but yes, uh, it's not. It's, it's kind of. I don't know. It just doesn't or... interest me. Okay. I mean, you know, maybe if somebody said, "Oh, look here, I'll give you a million dollars if you write this screenplay." Right. I'm sure, I could figure it out, but. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not, just not, I just don't, that's just doesn't seem like something that I need to get involved with. Fair enough. You know, it's right. like, I don't want to write fiction. Yeah. Screenplays just really doesn't interest me. Okay. I don't know. But then curious. I, but then I'm always picking apart every well, yeah. fucking screenplay <laughs> right. that I see, you know, but yeah. anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry. Okay, no, so no, no, go, no. let's, we should continue on you here. Know, this We're is... never going to get to anything. With I this know. Episode, it's, so. You know what? I don't even know. Then we'll have the people time. who bitch about the fact that we don't talk enough about the, I know <laughs> the episode, whatever. So. Oh, okay. We love you uh, all these, so much. These um, all seem to be pretty contained stories. So, but anyway, go ahead. Okay. Sorry. Right. So uh, I'll, I'll try to go through these quicker. I know you have notes. This is our second review. Sorry. We're still on the review. Sorry. Um, it's titled, If You Don't Like This Podcast, We Can Never Be Friends, um, with a bunch oh, of exclamation points. If you don't like what we talk about, we can never be yeah, friends. Yeah, so um, it's go. from GhostDude81. It says, these are my opinions. That's how he starts off. <laughs> uh, Troy's an absolute legend, and I will challenge anyone to a duel if they disagree. Okay, well, I, like I would style. disagree on that, but whatever. I but like thank the you style anyway, so far, so. yeah. <laughs> Cody is a treasure and brings comedy where it is needed during some of the well, dark so stories go, being told. So. This is my favorite review so far. Uh-huh. Um, I love this from the first time I heard it and always wait with excitement for new episodes. Keep up the great work. And that's from Kendall. Uh, thank you so much. I love that review. Yeah, that was nice. The last one's just titled American Hauntings. It's from Lynn, Lynn, Lynn Cakes? Lynn Cakes? I'm sorry. I'm not sure how to well, pronounce it. Well, it's, you know, you know one of those. screen names. You yeah. Um, I'm, starting for, uh, I'm starting from the beginning and listening to every podcast. I always enjoy Troy's books, and these are even more fun. Oh, well, um, cool. Awesome. So thank you for that. It really helps people find the show and just, you know, inflates our ego, and then we laugh <laughs> at the mean <laughs> ones, yeah, you know? Yeah, that's what it, yeah. Um, so when, and then we can make fun of the mean ones. Yeah, I haven't make, been looking at them lately, so... I, I, Check them out if every we have now and some, then, I haven't seen them. Yeah, you remember how, like when we initially started <laughs> and like we'd get um, you know 10, 20 great reviews and then that one uh-huh. would just piss yeah. you off and stick I in know. your head. Um, okay, so you mentioned over the course of the next eight episodes or so. Yeah, is that what you're thinking? Well, I'm that trying is to get you on um, the record here. Well, no, that's not for the rest of the oh, season. Okay. Those are just the okay. crime episodes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. When I said the next eight episodes or so, those were the murders, massacres, disappearances, and cults Got in it. eight episodes or so, which is as long as the entire season has been so far. Oh, yes. But then we have other stuff after that. Okay. That's why. I, that's why I said in the very beginning that we started with episode 70 and that I have no idea when uh, right, right. the season okay. will end. I just, so. I always try to get, yeah, no, trip, that trip when I and... said eight episodes or so I was or being so. vague <laughs> right. and those are just the Hollywood crime beat episodes. Got it. I got it. We had a long way to go with all this stuff. Hey, because I'm, I'm there's, fine with it. There's a, there's a whole, there's several episodes on cults. There are several episodes on, well, you got the Manson stuff. We got the black Dahlia. Yeah. We've got these murders and disappearances. All right. Then we'll get into just like the basics. Okay. okay. You know, then like we get into the basics. Haunted people, the ghost stories of certain stars. Okay. All right. So, and there'll be like eighty of those. Yeah. So this so season I, will I, never I really end. Don't know. I just keep. I just keep telling people when they ask me how many episodes going to be. Why worry about it? Yeah. So I don't even. Ask. I'm going to say just, the same thing to you. Why worry? Yeah, about Yeah. It? That's fair. I already know what the next season's going to be, and I'm not even. I don't. I know. I'm not even gearing up for that yet. I'm still really rolling on this Hollywood oh. thing. So. Man, you know, we talked about it before. I, I wanted, I really wanted to do a season on the like up and vanished missing person sort of thing, yeah. but there, there's no ghost stories. With well, those. there aren't ghost stories and there are, as I've discovered, uh, a lot of 
podcasts that are doing that already. Right. Now, a lot of them aren't talking about the same things that I normally do. Sure. They're usually not people you've ever heard of, but I do follow a podcast uh, from Wondery called The Vanished, mm-hmm. and uh, I've never heard of any of those people. Really? But it's a super interesting podcast. I but bet. she's up to like episode, I'll hear her go, episode 269 Gosh. of The Vanished. I'm like, that's, oh my God. That's, <laughs> you know? that's also terrifying. That yeah, it is. Go it is. So, but then again, there wouldn't be any paranormal stuff tied to it. No, there really isn't. But I, yeah, but really I love isn't. those bonus I episodes you did. Um, well, and I, and I may get, now that we're, we, first we talked about doing in a, a season of that and then we kind of said well I don't know I don't think we probably will so I probably need to do some more bonus episodes of those for um those for creepy. the Patreon because yeah. they're they're always fun episodes to do and uh, I do enjoy doing them I've got some Hollywood related episodes oh, okay. bonus episodes coming up yeah. uh that I've uh, I've got ready to go I just need to get them to you uh, so we've got some of that coming up too. So you know, hey, there's a plug for Patreon. There you go. Um, yeah, if you want to hear extra episodes, that's how you hear them. So well, anyway, this episode. Yes, let's talk ja- about this episode. James P. Watson, 1913, L.A.'s Bluebeard, uh, believed to be L.A.'s first serial killer. Uh, I like. He reminds me. Gives me like H. H. Holmes kind of vibes or something. Yeah, or, a little or, bit. I guess that time period. With all people the, would just uh, do that kind yeah, of shit. with all the, the. Well, you know, I mean, things were different back then. Yeah, I you mean, could get away you know, with that. Kind you of could stuff. get away with that stuff because you know there weren't. There was no internet. There was no. There were no photo IDs. Right. You know, you could say you were anybody pretty right. much. You know, from about 1950 and before, you could pretty much get away with saying you were anybody. That's crazy. And um, if you just wanted to change your name, you change your name. I mean, the guy moved because there were too many Mrs. James Watsons right, right. around in the Pacific Northwest. So he came to California. Yeah. So. And imi- imagine forgetting how many times you've been married. Yeah, no kidding. Right. Like, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, and then. Well, I mean, they're saying at least 40. Yeah. But he doesn't even know. Yeah. Is so a rough yeah. ballpark. Yeah. Um, claims to have murdered for the first time in 1893 when a woman uh, he was with became pregnant. After that, he decided he was never going to murder another woman without marrying her first. Because, uh, you know, you want to make sure you get the will and the assets and all that sort of stuff changed over. So let's let's talk about some of the wives here. So 1913 marries his first wife, uh, Catherine Cruz. Um, did she just disappear? Is that the, my understanding? I <sighs> well, mean, no, he disappeared. Oh, he, I mean, he just took off. Oh, I thought and she just no, took no, off. No, no, he disappeared, uh, which was lucky for her. Okay, th- uh, okay. But yeah, and this is what he looked like. Uh, yeah, I, uh, yeah, I Googled a Googled picture him, of him, yeah, a little twerp. Uh, yeah, they're always, these guys are like the ugliest people. I, I mean, not only him, but uh, all of them. And yet... Everyone in this episode is ugly and just like frightening looking. And you're like, they married, he got married 40 times. I know people that are nice people that, you know, nice looking people, decent, right. you know, who have never been married or have just co- constantly struck out in romance. Right. And it's like, but this guy's been married 40 times and killed 25 of his wives. Is this what the, one, the hell? Is this the one where you said women love a, a funny man or is that a different? I think that's the later guy. Okay, yeah, that's they're the all, guy. Yeah, Jeez. they're all, women can love a guy who makes them laugh. Right. Um, yeah, no, the, yeah, I think go. this was this guy. So, but yeah, it's just like, what in the hell? It doesn't make any sense. So Marie yeah. Austin bludgeoned to death and then sank, um, pushes another wife like Yeah, this is the guy who gave the, you know, life hack. If you 
sink a body in very oh, cold, cold water, it won't float to the surface. And I'm like, what the hell? Yeah, <laughs> you know? I'll have to ask Renee to like explain the physics yeah, of right. that to me. Yeah, she can figure out the physics. Um, yeah, so push the wife off a waterfall near Spokane, Washington. Uh, Spokane. Um, in 1919, he beats one with a hammer, drowns three other. It's interesting that he uses so many different methods, I guess. Yeah, right? just can, whatever. I, whatever strikes him, I guess. That's all I can figure. Right, but, right. And they, ne- they never did find all the bodies well, yeah. of his murdered wife. There's so some of them are still out there that's to so this day. Upsetting and bizarre. I mean, it's not funny. I mean, I'm yeah, laughing no. because it's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. You know? And he puts ads out in the Lonely Hearts column, um, which was a thing from before my time, but I know what they are. Sure. Yeah, that was a and that was a pretty common thing for there was a um and you know, they use that name Bluebeard to anybody who's had a lot of wives who murders them off. That's that old uh, okay. story, that old French story about the guy who you know, marries the young woman and brings her to his home and tells her that, you know, you can go anywhere in the in the house that you want, but you can't go in this room. This is the one room you can't go in. And of course, you know, that's the room she wants to go in because sure. she's told that she can. And then when she does, she finds the bodies of all his earlier wives. Uh, and so anybody who in this, in the early 1900s, anyone who... Um, you know, married multiple times and murdered their wives, got labeled with this. Um, there was a guy in Chicago, uh, Johan uh, Koch, that also married a whole, same deal, married mm-hmm. a bunch of women, stole their money and murdered them, uh, usually with poison. And so this, the Bluebeard, Bluebeard thing came up a lot okay. in the 1900s. I don't think I've ever heard that. In the late 1800s and the early 1900s, it was a really common nickname for a lot of these murders. And this guy was you know, right in that same time period. Um, right. And so. the, well, the interesting thing too, is you talk, so you said after his arrest, no one, not the cops, prosecutors, fellow inmates could understand how he'd lured, not even so many women, but well-educated, pretty cultured. Right. And the, what the, was the, this guy's I don't know. The warden was said that, that women would show up at the prison all right. the time to visit him and he'd have to turn them away. I, I don't know what it is. So I, bizarre. I mean, it was just like Ted Bundy or somebody. Yeah. You know, I mean, what is The right picture with, of Ted Bundy is attractive. Okay. Though, well, Ted Bundy was a good looking guy. But that's the the thing is, though, is every one of these guys, Bundy, Manson, you know, Ramirez, it doesn't matter. Yeah. They end up with women sending them letters and coming to see them. Well, and then we talk about a woman. Same thing in the same episode. Yeah. Claire Phillips, same deal. Yeah. You know, people are attracted. I mean, with women, you always hear that joke about, oh, you know, well, they like bad boys, you know, sure. and it's like. Okay, really? I mean, I don't think I, no woman that I know wants to date a man who's murdered right. multiple a, women. A motorcycle fine, murder? Yeah. No. Yeah, like, I don't. I, I can't wrap my head around that. Yeah. Um, so if there's someone out there who uh, listens to the podcast, or yeah, or no, I was gonna say who've written to convicts oh, in prison. That's even better. Please explain it to us yeah. because I would really love to know because I cannot understand. That would be yeah. That'd be so, very. I would. I wanted the the psychology of it explained, but. Well, Okay, I'll, actually, ta- I'll take either but one. If you've done um, this before. I think if I ask Catherine Ramsland, um, she's written so many things about serial killers and murders and stuff. She could probably explain the psychology of it to mm-hmm. us. But I want to hear it from somebody who does it, and I would yeah, like to know why. That's very interesting. Um, I, I'm just curious because I can't. I mean, is it the the unattainable man that right. is safe? It's always safe because even though he's a murderer, you know he's locked behind bars. Right. What is it? You, I, you, I can't you figure keep tabs it out. on him. You know where he is. You know, I can't figure it out. I, I can't yeah. figure out how this guy 
could have possibly have won over so many women. Yeah. You know, especially when you, you can't, it's not like they didn't tweet out his picture, well, it, sure. you know, like sure. the, the media, the reach was very, very different. I guess back he then, was so. just so charming. I guess so. But that I mean, it's word of mouth. Well, again, like though, that? you know, yeah, there would be newspapers, but sure. you know, when he was murdering all these people, you know, his picture wasn't in the newspaper. Right. I mean, that wasn't until after he was arrested. Then you've got people coming to want to see him in prison. That's bizarre. But yeah. how did he win them all over in the first place? This guy must have been so charming. Just give a wave to and the just, crowd. Yeah. Uh, I like know. I said, I mean, you know, women love a man who can make them laugh almost no matter what he looks like. Yeah. And maybe that's what it has. To, I don't know. Man. I don't know. I really don't. I don't so. know. Uh, so many, like I said, many of the bodies have never recovered. Uh, Nina Deloney found a note that he had written uh, to another woman. So, he, you know, naturally crushes her skull with an axe. <laughs> um, his downfall finally comes from a one Catherine Wambacher. Yeah. Uh, who hired a P.I., um, detectives eventually wait for him to leave and they cracked open a satchel that she wasn't allowed to get in, found a ton of damning evidence. Which is a lot like the Bluebeard story. Is it? Well, sure, because, you know, oh, he said oh, there's the one the room, room you can't go in. So here's a satchel you're not allowed to open because sure. I'm a government agent and this stuff is top secret. Right, you know, so, right. I mean, essentially, he was pretending to be James Bond before there was James Bond. Right. And so I'm sure that probably added to his mystique. OK, yeah. Know? Yeah, that's so fair. That makes sense. That's fair. Um, and so when, we, when he returned, he's charged with bigamy, uh, which still blows my mind that that was like. Yeah. thing um, and then start it just started confessing uh, so the confessions so dozens of interviews and doctor visits failed to tap into his brain he never goes to trial just kind of like pleaded yeah took guilt. a plea yeah. and figured why not know, why bother at this point I so guess I'm so. caught yeah. you know so uh, dies of pneumonia in 1920 um and then left his fortune hidden in code in his well, will so never he claimed. Be yeah deciphered. the warden didn't believe it yeah. i mean the warden never believed it but but he did. Um, but he did actually write some kind of cipher or some bullshit or something. Yeah, at least. supposedly that's uh-huh. the story. Okay. So he also told the warden he was a widower, which I mean, technically, I guess he was. <laughs> sure. But he murdered all his wives. Right. <laughs> so, right. You know. Is that are you still a widower? I don't know how that is works exactly. Phrase? I don't know what the uh, differentiation is. For right. That, so. Um, okay. So moving on, Clara Phillips, nineteen twenty-two. 1922. So she buys a hammer for 15 cents. Ask, is this heavy enough to kill a woman? Um, and the clerk, you know, it's like, you know, sure. Yeah, why, why not? not? Um, yeah. Spends the day drinking with her friend and then coming up with a, a plot, which is never a good idea. No, day drinking no. usually doesn't lead to good things. No. If you're well, mad I don't know. It can. Day drinking can be fun. If you're but angry. If you're planning to murder someone, it's probably not your best bet. But you so. know what? This woman, her friend was ride or die right there with I her. I guess. Um, yeah. So it says she finds out. Well, that her, I'm not sure that her friend knew she was going to kill someone i'm not but on the other hand i feel like what the hell was she doing in the car you know yeah you know i mean she had to have some idea that something bad was going to happen but maybe peggy just thought she was going to beat her up it's just violence at least yeah maybe maybe she was just going to beat her up or threaten her or warn her away from her husband Uh, it's it's hard to say slippery slope there but um so she finds out her husband's having an affair with a woman named alberta she and a friend like i said get drunk go to alberta's work and then i guess ask for a ride essentially kind of yeah like, hey, i know i know that's what i thought was weird too i guess they must have 
it's the 1920s. Maybe sure. they just said, hey, could you give us a ride somewhere? Right. I don't know. Right. Uh, it, during Here. that ride, yeah, ends up pulling over, bashes the woman's head in with the hammer, disembowels her, yeah. chokes her, and rolls a 50-pound boulder uh-huh. onto her chest, and well, then yeah. goes home Gotta to her make hu- sure. Yeah, well, you know. Um, goes home to her husband and makes him the best dinner he'd ever had. Yeah, but see, doesn't this... I mean, this could be a great episode of something. Yeah, of course. Because I can just picture this of her walking into the house covered in blood and says, well, I guess it's murder. Yeah. You know, it's just like, honey, I'm home, you know, and, um, you know, covered in blood's going to fix him the best dinner he's ever had. But the dude doesn't do anything. I mean, he just like, I don't know what I tries to help her. Well, okay, good point. You know, she's just because the next morning he, you know, puts her on a train to Mexico, but it makes you wonder what went on that night. Right. See, again, this would be like a really great episode of something. Yeah, I don't know you if know, it's this is weird like a law and order or something, film or, or something, but... I feel like that night he either laid in bed completely and, well, awake... Could, there's no way he slept. Right. I mean, there's or, just no way. Or they had the best sex oh, ever. Well, I'm sure about you, that, you know? but I'm sure he didn't go to sleep after <laughs> right, that. Because wide-eyed. you would not cl- want to close your eyes to this woman because... No, hell no. If, he's, if she's already killed your mistress, right. you've got to think, am I not next yeah and if i fall asleep i'm i'm screwed oh man so that's what i'm thinking is that he laid awake all night yeah. and the next morning decided well once he got rid of her you know i said you know i wrote well he had second thoughts my guess is as soon as she was out of sight he went to the cops yeah. and Hell went yeah. okay she's gone now i gotta tell you what happened right you know? right right she's dubbed the tiger and woman. i didn't call you before this because i was sure she was gonna kill me next i mean I, yeah you know? I, I, yeah i guess i can't blame the guy no. but Dubbed the Tiger Woman. Uh, she's eventually found guilty of second-degree murder. It seems like it's pretty planned out, though, right? Well, yeah, but I think they probably, when the insanity defense didn't go through, they probably settled on second-degree, mm. th- saying that it was a spur-of-the-moment thing. Uh, okay. All you know, right. I, I it probably, it obviously it wasn't because she went to a, you know, a five-and-dime store and brought, right. bought the hammer ahead of time, but... I think you could make a case for the fact that she was inebriated, right, and you know, angry and yeah, that it was the, a heat the, of passion, yeah, crime of passion kind of thing. Right, exactly. So I think that probably that's why it was second degree. Fair enough. You know, so that'd be my guess. Uh, so you said Claire was uh, charming, pretty, had tons of admirers. Again, kind of like we talked about uh, with the, the last guy. December 5th, 1922, a man named Jesse Carson's uh, helps her escape. But <laughs> yeah. she, how did how exactly did he help? Got, her a, got her a file blade oh, to, oh, that's what it was. to okay. cut the bars in her cell and Got get it. out. So he just decided that, I don't know if he was in love with her, decided he sure. was in love with her. I've seen the paper. Um, I mean, I guess the, the theory here is that, you know, a guy who would read this story would think, wow, this is a woman that I want to, you know, that I want to take home because she's obviously fiercely loyal. Right. But you're thinking, if I ever look at another woman, I'm dead. <laughs> you yeah, know, ever. Dead. You know, yeah, I'm right. dead. She's, and so, yeah, and so is the other woman. Right. Yeah. So she's caught four <laughs> months later. Um, she had an odd time in prison. Like, hey, you know what? It's just like one of those things where all guys like the girl who's crazy. Do you want, what we do you all have those stories oh, of yeah, the of girl course. we dated that was crazy. Yes. And it was always great until it wasn't. Until it wasn't. And I think that probably old Jesse was probably thinking, boy, she'd be a she'd be a handful, but boy, wouldn't it be mm. fun? And oh, yeah. So and many so but I'm sure that's what her I'm sure that's what her husband thought too until right. he married her. You right. Know? No, so many thoughts. And then I always try to 
turn it back on myself too and be like, okay, so I dated all these crazy women. What's the common denominator? Well, yeah, me. me. I know, <laughs> you know, I've said the same thing. Yeah, maybe every I'm time, the asshole. yeah, ladies, let me give you a warning. If a guy that you're seeing tells you that every <laughs> single woman he ever dated right. uh, was crazy, um, you should probably take that with a huge grain of sure. salt. And really decide if that's the relationship you want to be yeah. in, because if they like were, Cody said, made them that way. <laughs> there's a common denominator there. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, keep that in mind. Yeah. Date somebody that's like, you know what? I was the asshole. Yeah. Know, or time, just right? go, you know, or date somebody who's still friends with their exes. Yeah. You know, that's ca- at least casual. Yeah. Or at least know, just, you know, friendly terms. We're on speaking terms. Sure. You know, so. Yeah. Uh, anyway, if they're all in insane asylums, right. run, <laughs> right. run, disemboweling so, people with yeah. hammers. Um, so she has an odd time in prison. Like I said, eventually gets out, moves to Texas in 1961, kind of disappears. But she she did some weird stuff, like learned, I guess, trades and dental <laughs> yeah. stuff. Well, but that I mean, was kind of normal. Yeah, I guess. For, why not? For prison and yeah. rehabilitating people, yeah. giving them skills. Oh, that was the have. idea was to give them some kind of skill when they got out. I don't know that she needed one because. I mean, she was a film extra and a chorus girl. So, sure. I mean, any any trade would go up from there, I right. think. But, you know, she did learn some trades. She started in uh, orchestra, you know. Oh, yeah. Okay, and then yeah. She, she learned how to play the saxophone. That's... So, I mean, well, you're in jail for years. I mean, she Hell, had gotten, got this, time. You know, she'd gotten a deal that would let her out, you know, with a, you know, a, a set parole date, mm-hmm. you know. So she knew she was going to be there for a certain amount of time. So you might as well find something to do. Why not? You know, rather than just sit there and rot, you know? So anyway, well, good for her. Um, (laughs) that she got released and was out in the wild again. Um, moving on to Robert James, 1930s, known as the rattlesnake murderer. This is a bizarre. Yeah. You know, and you know, something I've noticed from this, uh, this episode is that the nickname it's, we're doing it over Valentine's day weekend. Mm -hmm. And every one of these has got something to do with people marrying and murdering their spouses and things. It didn't even dawn on me when I put all these together. I guess the last one really isn't, has no romance in it at all. The last part of this episode. Oh, no. At least the rattlesnake one is not definitely, I mean, yeah, he was marrying and dating people, but yeah, what a fucked up story. Yeah, so, okay, so he's born as Major Raymond Lazimba, changed his name after divorce, uh, and because he owes a, bunch of pregnant women right, money. Right. Um, so, so pretty much the same guy from the first one, sure. just, you know, moved right. ahead in time a little. Yeah, so. women loved him, dresses well, great dancer, Southern Charm in California, all that sort of stuff. So he's got a lot going for him there. Um, if He had to find a cheaper way to end his third <laughs> yeah. marriage. Yeah, after he got divorced, he, you know, it cost him so much money. He thought, well, I'll just murder the next right. one. So. And, th- and this time he makes money, you know, gets right. $14,000, exactly. opens a barbershop in downtown LA. Um, and then I put, starts dating his niece, question mark. And yeah. Which I, you're very clear about that later. Uh-huh. Um, marries a woman named Mary, gets her pregnant. Eventually, they find her drowned body. But um, an, an insurance agent's kind of skeptical and tells the LADA. The cops eventually start recording his convos, find out that he's into very violent and kinky sex. Uh, they bust in on him in bed with his niece and arrest him um, because she's underage. And I guess uh, it's his it, niece. It, it, incest. I, I guess, is that like the? It's still his niece. Sure. Okay. So yeah, that, that's still incest. I mean, that's only you know that's a one degree of separation. There. Right. 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 So and and know. she's seventeen. I'm not sure where the cutoff line 
line is there, but I think it's if you're cousin. dating your niece or your first cousin, I think that still counts as incest. Right. And if so. it's a minor, yeah. Um, well, yeah, that doesn't help. Right. So the report uh, brought in a uh, report brought in a man named Charles Hope who claimed Robert. Uh, oh, okay. So it, it bought rattlesnakes. So I'm very confused. As what, why did this? guy come forward why did this charles guy come that's forward a, i i don't know that's it a good like, question it seemed like he, he just kinda... he saw the newspaper story and it he implicated himself yeah, but, but i guess when he saw the story it's like oh, and shit. That there was a question about the murder i don't maybe if guilt got to him yeah he seems like just some kind of like dope dopey <laughs> kind of scumbaggy you know kind of just drifter type who maybe his guilt got to him i don't know he came in for a haircut and his barber starts questioning him about buying rattlesnakes so and i'm weird. such a weird story i yeah. mean it's almost like something that you would make up that the cops wouldn't believe right. except for the fact that you know the the wife is dead and they're suspicious about it yeah otherwise why would anyone believe this story it's so dumb that too. you know and then you know he's gonna give her an abortion on the kitchen table which not so out of line for the time period, sure, yeah. actually, when you know abortion was illegal, and abortionists would come to people's homes and give them abortions on their kitchen table, yeah. that part of it is not hard to believe. Yeah. Unfortunately, well, that shit still happens uh, when you outlaw. It. Yeah, when you outlaw things like that, that's what happens, and so many people died from things like that. But you know, he he was obviously trying to murder her and wasn't giving her an abortion, right? But, um, I just, this guy that comes forward to tell this story, I agree with you. So bizarre. And then he yeah. ends up spending life in prison. Yeah. Uh, for all we know, this guy sounds like a like a wino or something anyway. Sure. So he probably thought that prison would be better than living on the street. I, I don't Could know. Be. I really don't know. I, I really don't. I've never been able to wrap my head around exactly how this story <laughs> oh, yeah. went down uh, with that part of it. But apparently he was telling the truth. Yeah. Even if it sounds bizarre. You know, so fucking dumb. well, and that's why I included it. If it just yeah. been yet another murder of another guy murdering his wife, yeah. we already had, he, you know, that it, I don't, you know, it would have made way more sense too if he was just like, yeah, I got him rattlesnakes. Didn't know why he needed them. Yeah. He see, that for, would make you know? sense. Like, but now it's like, well, yeah, I was there and he tied her down and stuck her leg in a box full of rattlesnakes. Yeah, and it's, it's like bizarre. Okay. Um, uh, you said that the story inspired, inspired double indemnity. Um, I've actually seen that movie. All right, I right. had a class in college. That good was, book. Um, James Cain's got some good books. Postman always rings twice, man. Great I, movie. I the Lana Turner version, not the newer one. Oh boy. Uh, the okay. Remake, not as good. The original is, is a classic. I was so happy that I'd seen an old movie. And you no, just, you did yeah, good. <laughs> no, no, I'm just telling you, no, if okay. you ever want to see another James N. Cain okay. book, why, or, you know, as a film, watch The Postman Always Rings Twice. All right, no, that's fair. Or yeah, read the book, either we, one. We did a, it was a, uh, it was a, a film class, and I think we were on film noir at that point. Isn't that Fred McMurray? And then uh, I think I so. I can't remember. I think it is. Yeah, it was a long time yeah. ago at, at SAUE. Um, yeah, but it yeah, it was it was great. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, really liked that movie. Uh, so they're both found guilty. Robert James is uh, the last man to be hanged in the state of California. Moving on to Harvey Glattman, September 18th, uh, 1959 is when he's yeah, put to death. This guy's a, um, I'm not sure what happened. What do we got? Nothing. Oh, okay. I don't know what happened there. That's fine. I lost my... Lose your notes? Yes, I did. Oh, and it man. turned into our episode on my iPad of me reading it. 
so I don't know what happened. Interesting. But, yeah. Um, anyway, so known as the Glamour Girl Slayer, uh, awkward boy with the high IQ, which is always a scary thing. Yes, it is. In New York City. Yes, it is. Um, uh, had a passion for photography, you could say. <laughs> yeah. um, so this is interesting. His mother uh, caught him choking himself while masturbating at just age 12. 12. Yeah. Took me to at least age 20. Yeah. Um, <laughs> to, at, at to, to try out the uh, autoerotic asphyxiation. Yeah. 12 yeah. years old. That's, I mean, nowadays I'd be like, okay, let's red flag. Uh, we got to, we got to talk about this at least. Uh, ties up a student at gunpoint, molests her at the age of 18, begins breaking into houses, tying up women, assaulting them, not raping them, which is an important distinction at this point, I would say. Gets arrested, uh, but does it again. This time kidnaps uh, Noreen Laurel, goes to jail for eight months, moves back to New York City. Eventually attacks two people, ties the man up. This time he does rape a woman, and it kind of keeps escalating from yeah. there. Uh, attacks Florence Hayden. I mean, this guy's like a textbook. Yeah. You know, of everything that's wrong. Right. I mean, right. You this can is what all. this is what Manhunter or not Manhunter. Mindhunter. Mindhunter teaches yeah. us to watch for. Right. Everything profiles. about this guy's life. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Um, he attacks Florence Hayden on my birthday, but luckily she <laughs> she escapes. Um, but then he robs two women the next evening uh, and eventually gets arrested again. And he's, but he's released after two years. Um, and then this section I've labeled Harvey in California. So um, yeah. he goes back to Colorado, doesn't get caught for nine years. Basically said he lays low for nine years. You think he's yeah? Didn't get I'm caught. gonna say that he probably just didn't get caught, right? Uh, but there's no way this guy just stopped. Sure, I mean there's just never no stopped. way. This guy's a complete freak, right? And there's go- no way he stopped. Goes so. to California, sets up photography studio, picks up a. Judy- now he put a lot of work into this. What's that? The going to California studio? and setting up this complete new identity for himself oh, sure. as a professional photographer. I mean, this was this is where you're getting into the. I mean, if they hadn't. If he hadn't picked the wrong victim, uh-huh. this guy would have went on for years. I mean, he put a lot of thought into this and a lot of work. He laid a lot of groundwork to be a serial killer. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's actually it's also like the perfect kind of it's job, I guess, to and have. This for that should kind be a, this should be a movie. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it really should, but I mean, it probably has. Well, what's been, that, Robin Williams one? Like one hour photo. A one hour photo, <laughs> but I guess, right? Uh, yeah. Or even the um, even Red Dragon. I mean, it was, remember he was oh, getting yeah. it from, spoiler alert, was picking his victims because he worked for that film developing company in St. Louis. Oh, right. That's, that's the original. He, I don't know if, I can't remember about Red Dragon, I but love when Red you Dragon. watch Manhunter, uh-huh. the one from the 80s, the Michael Mann one with William Peterson, um, he works for a company that develops film uh, in St. Louis. And that's how he picks his victims. And I remember as a kid, um, being 11, 12 years old, going on vacation, and you had actual film film, yeah, yeah. your camera, and then when you were done with it, I mailed it to a place in St. Louis. No shit. And so, I mean, I think they were kind of, because of the center of the country like that, I think right. it was kind of a hub for that kind of thing. Interesting. And, um, and then, you know, years later, that's the plot in Manhunter. I'm like, holy crap. Right. <laughs> you know, but huh. oh, this is the same kind of thing. I mean, that's, you yeah. know, except he's, I mean, it's not, but it is, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I mean, you could, this could make a movie. Maybe it has been, and I'm not aware of it, but right. this is a story that well, the, is really messed up. One of the weird things that was like, one of the women he picks up and I guess just you know, escalate things and things get awkward or whatever, but it says, you know, doing like headshots and stuff, but he's like, okay, but these need to be some bondage yeah, ones. Yeah, I need know? you to act scared. Yeah, like yeah, that kind of yeah. shit. Like, well, if you, um, it, I actually did an it. article on this in the Morbid Curious too. Did you look at the photos? 
because uh, I, mean, I put I've the photos that he took in there. Oh, I guess I, did, so I didn't even make the connection. Are available. The photos are out there. Okay, well, that's uh, Judy Dahl and all of them, they're in there. So and I went Judy through that before a, I even looked at the Judy was a then. knockout. Really? I mean, she was beautiful. Mm. And um, the photos of her, like the last photo taken of her, it's scary. Ugh. And so I put them all in there because I, you know, to highlight just how messed up this guy was. Sure. Uh, but I find this, I think this story is is terrifying. Yeah, it's like some pre know? like BTK stuff. It is. Or it really is. I mean, it's so messed up. Yeah. So yeah, like you said, Judy Ann Dole picks her up for a photo shoot, convinces her to let him tie her up, gets out his gun, rapes her, makes her cuddle with them, watch television. Yeah. Drives her that which is even more messed so up. So fucked up. Yeah. yeah. Drives her to desert, strangles her to death, her body's eventually found. Next victim, Shirley Bridgeford, drives her to desert, rapes her, makes her wait till the sun comes up because his yeah. bulb goes out. Which yeah. How's yeah, it's awkward silence. Even worse. It's terrible, yeah. Kills her, and then he just leaves her there, because he's right. like, you know, I'm just not even going to bother. <sighs> Next victim is Ruth McCardo, another model. Um, breaks into her house, rapes her, drives her to the desert, kills her. Lorraine Vigil uh, manages to get the gun away That's from Harvey. The, yeah, that, there, was, there was his mistake. <laughs> fucked with um, the wrong This girl woman. was not having it. Yeah, so. she bites him, gets yeah. the gun. Uh, police, yeah, kicks his ass, yeah, essentially. Holds yeah. the gun on until the police show uh-huh. up, and then he just starts talking. Well, um, you know, he's another one of these little wormy guys yeah, right. who, you know, they want the fame. This and is the only power that he has, and now that he knows he's lost it, he figures that he could get it by confessing to everything sure. and make him famous. Right. You know, he, he thinks this is going to make him famous. Yeah. And I actually, most people have never heard of the Glamour Girl Slayer. Oh, I'll forget his name I mean, after this. Yeah, episode. exactly. No one would remember this story without the nickname, and most people don't know the nickname. Right. This is an obscure killer that is just messed up yep. and so you know of course then i wanted to include yeah of it course because yeah. it was messed up you want to talk about it well but... i want to talk about it because it's not one that people are familiar with yeah, none of these stories I, yeah, are stories that people know and that's why i wanted to include them we'll get to the famous ones but i wanted to set it up with these not so famous ones but sure. still as fucked up as you know oh, a lot yeah. of the famous ones strap in for the next episode we are yeah i have to have a couple drinks before we do this yeah. next one because <laughs> yeah. it's so upsetting. Um, so he eventually asks for the death penalty. He gets the gas chamber. Fuck him. I'll forget about him. Um, and never talk about him again. It is now time for our Ghost Rider segment. <laughs> if you have a question or comment about the world of the macabre, you can email us at AmericanHauntingsPodcast at gmail.com. This first note comes to us from Shelly. It's just a uh, subject is podcast. But I wanted to give you a shout out for an awesome podcast. I found your show in March 2020. Uh, sent home from work. We decided uh, on a home projects. Well, I found your show and have been hooked ever since. I wish you guys would come to Colorado. There's always a Stanley Hotel for you to visit. You've <laughs> kept my interest and absolutely love hearing all the stories. Also, the Houdini must be um, a show for you to do. I feel I'm sitting there with you while I'm listening. Keep up the great work, Shelly. Um, so thank you very much for that. No, that, that's very nice. And yeah, Troy loves Houdini. I do. Um, it's gonna be it. It be will. It, it will be a, a an evening with a oh, dinner. Yeah, I've got yeah. one planned with Houdini. Are you gonna have um, like a straight jacket no, on and no, no, sink no, to the no, bottom no. in a safe? No, right? no, I'm not gonna do any escape <sighs> tricks because I would die. Well, what the hell? Uh, so, that's, that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> that's fair. Um, this last one comes to us from Jennifer. Um, also put her phone number in here, which is interesting. I didn't know that was a option on our Shopify uh, site, but apparently it is. Um, it it's says probably just for you. 
It's probably just for me, right? Uh, don't call me. So it says, um, no, I've been listening since the first episode and love it more with every season. My almost 10-year-old daughter is also into the paranormal, and we listen to the, ep- we listen to the episodes that are appropriate together. <laughs> um, I love being able to give her the real facts behind the legends. Plus, it's great to have something like this to bond over. Oh, that's sweet and weird, and I love it. Um, my favorite season is the current one. I'm very much looking forward to the Black Dahlia episodes. We'll However, my favorite episodes have to be the Limp series, which I've listened to multiple times. Thank you for such a great podcast, and we'll keep listening. That's awesome. Um, I'm hoping you listen to the episode first before you determine if it's appropriate for <laughs> yeah. your daughter. Uh, I'm not judging. It's just sometimes sometimes we talk about some fucked up stuff. Don't let her listen to the next one. Um, yeah. I'm just going to put that out there. Or the one after that, which you don't even know I don't know even know. Yet, Jennifer, so. cover ears. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for, for writing in. Um, also, we have a couple new uh, subscribers on Patreon. So I just want to give a quick shout out to Jeffrey, Jack, Marley, Jenny, Nicole, Jamie, Cindy, Cheyenne, and Rebecca. So thank you so much for supporting the show on Patreon. Troy's got a whole thing about, you know, listen to the first season, listen to this season. Yeah, well, season. actually, you're going to have it because I rewrote the end. Oh, so. oh we're going to do that fun yeah. thing where I don't... Yes. Uh, I, I did actually copy and paste this from your current okay. episode well, one, too. So I, good shape, I have so. the new one. So yeah. take us out, Troy. All right. Well, guys, thank you again for listening. And um, as we've mentioned before... Um, share this with your friends, give us a review, rate us. Uh, it helps more people find us. Um, we, we love to have people getting in touch with us, talking to us, uh, reaching out, uh, with your own stories and with things that you want to tell us about the podcast, even suggestions and ideas. Yeah. Uh, we actually do listen to them, uh, believe it or not. Um, I do in other ways too. I had people reaching out about some of our live streams and I planned one specifically because it was requested. No shit. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's not going to change my mind about what the rest of the season is and the next season is, but who knows after that? So, you just never know. Troy doesn't listen to any of the suggestions yeah, I give him. So I, I, you, you I, really I got them. through to him. I just, you know, it just depends on what it is. So anyway, we, um, we will, uh, we'll be back in two weeks and, um, Keep an eye on some of the stuff we were talking about earlier in this episode uh, that's coming up soon. And hopefully we'll see some of you guys in person, uh, which is always even more fun than just hearing from you yeah. about the podcast. So. And, and I also want to give a quick shout out to Emily. Thank you for the Valentine's Day card oh, yeah, with yeah, the Dalmatian. Yeah, yeah. We and needed the, to mention that. The, I'm, I yeah, forgot. The fun little pictures. Um, looks like she took some old uh, old pictures and uh, drew fun, scary things all over them. Um, so thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Like, you know, I never get physical mail anymore. I know. It's well, like and that was kind of her point. Or, she yeah. wanted to send something in the mail. That was pretty cool. Yeah, so. and she gave us five stars in the yeah, card. So yeah, pretty thank cool. you very much. I'm just going to do it. All right. This episode of the American Hauntings podcast is written by Troy Taylor and is produced and edited by me, Cody Beck. If you're not a regular listener of the well, podcast, since I can't stop we hope you you'll from check reading it out it, bi-weekly so dose history, hauntings, it, so. legends. Yeah, you did trip yeah. me up. Lore in the dark side of American history. You can find and subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere you listen to your favorite shows. See the website at AmericanHauntingsPodcast.com for more info about the show, notes, photos, links, and more. If you are a regular listener, we hope you'll take time to review us on the Apple Podcast app and share the show with your friends. Friends, neighbors, relatives, people you pass in the street, whoever. We couldn't and wouldn't do the show yeah, without you're you. Damn right. Remember how-
remember how we used to say, oh, <laughs> yeah. even if nobody's listening, that was yeah. like three yeah. seasons ago. Yeah, right. Um, if right. you're a fan, then you also know that American Hauntings is not just this podcast. Yeah. It's books, tours, events, and more on yeah, our main there's website. There's no way I continue to <laughs> do this. AmericanAwnings.net. No <laughs> um, for those of you who write to us and tell us that you wish we posted shows more often, well, you can have fresh content if you support the show on Patreon. That's not the only perk that you'll get either. Okay, Troy, I'm reading this for the first time. Uh, there are discounts, yeah, shirts, stuff in the mail, well, all kinds of things. Know, just trying to update. No, it's flowing. I like no. it. Um, for those who don't understand how important our Patreon is to us, go back and listen to the first season how and then listen to this one. Yeah. Yep, that's right. Um, Patreon is what made it all get better. So check it out at patreon.com slash American Hauntings. And if you have comments about the show, suggestions, reviews, jokes, or just want to tell us what you really think of us, we are reachable via email on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, messages in a bottle, carrier pigeon, and telegram. I'm always going to have telegram in there we have since to. we found out about telegram. We have so. to. Thank you, Twitter and Diane yeah. and all that. Yeah. Until so. next time, goodbye. So, so long. Well. See you later. See ya. Okay. That was, um, well, I started recording a little bit it's earlier, kind of but a long one, hour, hour five, it'll oh, be a little right. less than an hour. Yeah. And, and even though